Welcome to Strength in the Numbers. My name is Andrew Codd, accountant, author, and commercial finance entrepreneur. And it's my job each week to bring you leaders in finance and business and deconstruct with them their real stories, insights, and hard-won lessons into practical advice on the key strengths and qualities you need to remain relevant in accounting and finance today, as well as the steps you can begin to take to elevate the impact you make to have a fun, successful, and rewarding career in accounting and finance. Now let's go over to the show. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Strength in the Numbers. Now I'd like to start today's episode by asking a question. I mean, how many of us are actually using our finance skills just to simply keep busy or actually create more value for our stakeholders? And really, how do we know the difference? Well, look, I believe we're all doing our best to add value and sometimes in that race to do that, we may actually be guilty of just not focusing on doing the right things and so limiting our impact and influence in our organizations around the potential value we can perhaps add, particularly in FP&A. And this is one of the many areas Rob Tripp and I discussed on today's episode, along with some other key areas, such as the fundamental role FP&A actually plays in value creation, some simple steps to ensure we're solving for the right answer, the importance of starting at the end result and working backwards to ensure we're simply not just keeping busy and a really cool concept that Rob introduces around operating leverage that all good financial models should ideally be operating off. Now look, there's some really great pearls of wisdom in this episode, so I really encourage you to listen to it all the way through. But if you do want to skip some bits, you can find a timestamp, show notes, key quotes, and other key resources mentioned at sitnshow.com slash podcast slash 094. And as usual, if you did enjoy this podcast, please let your colleagues and friends know about it. We're on all the major platforms to subscribe at iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud and YouTube. So look, that's enough for me. So without further ado, over to Rob and the show. So Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you very much. Rob, as we do with our guest mentors on the show, we typically delve into maybe their journey in finance and accounting. So would you perhaps maybe share with us your journey in finance with our audience? Yes, absolutely. Um, Initially, I was trained in financial modeling and valuation at the investment bank Houlihan Loki in Chicago. When I was right out of grad school, I went to, I had the privilege of attending Boston College MBA program in the 90s. And from there, I went and acquired my own business. And then after that, jumped back into M&A and investment banking. And that led me to a corporate position at Hertz, which at the time was a Fortune 200 company. And it was there under the tutelage of some great mentors that I not only learned ERP systems, but was able to really fine tune my FP&A skills. So I've, I've been a lucky guy professionally, and I'm very grateful. And I suppose you touched on there, Rob, having, having mentors, the great, great mentors and the tutelage of them. I suppose, what were the the key points that they emphasized for you that allowed you to appreciate your career and have that perspective on your career? 
Well, a number one was, um, halfway into my time at Hertz, we went from, uh, purely manual systems to, uh, the use of Hyperion enterprise. And that opened, um, just all kinds of new doors for better data, which led to better information. That's number one. But number two is we took the modeling serious and we took the core concepts of, of corporate finance and FP&A very serious. It was extremely important that we simply solve for the right answer. And that is probably the biggest professional learning lesson of my life. Uh, we did not cut corners. We did not uncover rocks and stones um, simply because uh, we couldn't be bothered or time was an issue. Um, we really looked through all the financial statements to make sure that we were grabbing all of the pieces we needed and that our core concepts of valuation were correct. Ultimately, I see FP&A as a valuation exercise because the concept behind it is truly assessing and creating value. I, th- I like the way you distill that down to its core essence for FP&A, Rob. So, uh, and there was a lot in there. I could see, you know, you had great mentors, right? So there's a lot in there. So I want to deconstruct some of those elements. So let's perhaps about, you mentioned FP&A as a valuation exercise. Okay, maybe what, what does that look for in practice for someone who's maybe not as familiar with FP&A? Like how, how, how would we go and describe that to them? That, that's, that's a great question. The fundamental equation in valuation is really price equals cash flow divided by a certain discount rate. So we need to look at each individual piece. We need to thoroughly vet our cash flow. Where is our cash flow coming from? What are the sources of cash flow? Are they are they financing? Are they investment oriented? Are they operationally oriented? Which ultimately is our goal. At what rate will the market, at what discount rate, that denominator will the market employ in assessing our potential future risk and reward and that's cash flow divided by r and that equals p price which really is the concept of value and fpna again to me is all about creating corporate value now we might not be in Andrew, we might not be employing that valuation formula in what we do. Say we're simply constructing a pivot table so we can look at how many scarves and hats and mittens and boots we sold. Okay. I, and I'm yeah. not trying to knock it, you know, any yeah, particular yeah. Excel formula or, <laughs> or anything well, you know, it, yeah. <laughs> or capability. Um, but, yeah. you know, simply looking at a, at a pivot table. Well, Okay, so we're not at that end, you know, value result yet, but we're starting to get there. We're looking at sources of value when we do things like sort data and uh, manage data and create pivot tables and so on and so forth. So that 
type of analysis ultimately is leading us to the bread and butter question of how do we create value? Where is it coming from? And where can we create it in the future? Yeah, I I think what you've done there, Rob, is you've probably started with the why, the reason for FP&A being the valuation creation exercise and gives a reason for doing those hard yards to deconstruct what needs to be done. You know, the bread and butter, as you said, to get towards identifying the proper sources of value, right? So so that's why FP&A does what FP&A does. And you got it. Really forget that. You know, so I love, again, I love how you distilled it down to that statement. So I'm glad we sort of fleshed it out a bit. And then there was another key thing in there that I felt really important. I don't want our audience to miss it, right? Is it's making sure we're solving for the right answer. All right. Yes. So, 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 okay. So, um, so what would that look like in practice now for our audience? How do, how do, how would they know that they're solving for the right answer? What could we share with them? Well, uh, a number one, we can honest, honest to God, Andrew, a number one, we can open the tech, our textbooks. <laughs> we can go back and open our textbooks. I handwrite my uh, corporate, my valuation, the my basic valuation formulas every year. Um, all the ones that we learned in in college and in grad school. I make a point, number one, of handwriting them every year. Uh, number two is open our textbooks and make sure that. Um, conceptually, we are going down the right path. And and I'll give you an example. Um, and I've seen this in large corporate environments. Um, you don't divide net income, which is an equity concept, by total invested capital, which is all sources of financing, debt plus preferred plus equity. You've mixed apples and oranges. And I see all the, often all the hard work of culling data, taking it through a calculation process, coming up with, it, with a final answer, i.e. useful business information. But unfortunately, it's the wrong concept. And, and I do see this through time professionally. And that's somewhat frustrating to me that we can dedicate so much resource, but kind of somehow be off the mark in our final yeah. answer. And like, and like I've probably, I got thoughts on this, but why do you think we're in effect spinning the wheels on that? Why, why are we dedicating so much time to something that's ultimately not probably value creating or is useful? human nature, actually, a number one, do we really trust the finance theory? Okay. (laughs) That we learned because quite frankly, a lot of functional areas are pretty happy to dismiss, uh, corporate finance theory. A number, because maybe that's not what they learned and we need a little more trust around the table. I think at times, Um, So a number one, do you really trust the theory? And number two is, you know, mankind's, you know, instinct to go for the busy work. (laughs) Yeah, I'm laughing because I can see myself in that sometimes and and others too. 
Um, but okay, so so how do we snap out of that busy work? I suppose it's coming back. Probably you probably answered that earlier, right? It's coming back to that why again. Yeah, I, let's start. Let's start at the end result and work backwards. Completely. Let's take the time. That's a really good question, Andrew. Um, this is going to lead to good, valuable conversation. Let's start <laughs> at at our final model output, okay? And let's nail that down and get it right. And let's start working backwards, yeah. okay? As we move through our calculation processes and back and then ultimately into our underlying data. Yeah. Um, and that's a great way to build financial models. For example, in Excel, start at the end result. Make sure you, you know, nail that down and then mo- move into your data fields. Yeah. And again, I guess it's probably us rushing perhaps unnecessarily thinking, oh, we've got this data. Let's pull it together. Let's see what we have and keep iterating that and then we could actually find ourselves going away from from what a good end solution looks like if we invested the time up front just using some of the gray matter in our in our heads thinking what the outcome should look like absolutely back absolutely that's yeah yep that's what i believe as well yeah that gives a proper end to end as well because um because it asks us the right questions over the relevant data points so like, what are the key decisions are we solving for here? Uh, and then working back to what those relevant or key data points look like. So, um, so and we could probably save ourselves a lot of time and be more productive if we just took a bit of time to stop and think, maybe be a bit more mindful. <laughs> so. Bingo, bingo. <laughs> oh, and gosh, yeah. models, models operate uh, on the concept of, of um, quote unquote operating leverage. Um, Look, all of us in FPNA, we've all been run over by updating our models, you know, through the week. We never quite get to those little tweaks we've been dying to make for weeks or months. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. um, we've all been caught at, you know, 4 p.m. or 5 p.m. on a Friday, you know, jamming stuff into our models to get a product out, <laughs> out the door. We've all been there. You know, it's one of the great frustrations. And we never quite get to the model we always dreamed of. Well, models, financial models, and let's talk specifically about Excel, because a half a billion people use it, as Lance Rubin recently pointed out. Models operate under the concept of operating leverage. And that is, let's take the upfront fixed time to get our model where we really want it to be before we start with the variable expense elements of say populating a model. Let's take the upfront time. Let's nail down the right answer, that end product that we really truly desire. And then we'll start investing in the updates you know, what I call the variable expenses, populating your model, you know, the repeated updates, so on and so forth. And I think that's what the industry historically has not done. We've kind of worked the other way. 
So as financial modeling becomes increasingly accepted, I do believe that people and organizations will be far more open to the idea of FP&A analysts investing heavy upfront time to make sure their model is nailed down correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, there's, there's so much in there. Um, I like, like I I just, I can see, you know, you, the way you described that there, Rob, and the way I can see it in my mind, my experience as well. And, and our listeners too. I mean, how many times we just have all this data and we're probably guilty of trying to appear busy or trying to appear to that we're doing something, we're moving towards the end point. And really the most important thing is to stop and think. It's like we're crossing the road, you know, stop, think, look around first, you know, figure out, you know, do you really need to be crossing the road or whatever, you know, not necessarily run straight away at it. Exactly. And you men- yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned Lance Rubin because I think, you know, uh, the, combined with the operating leverage you just mentioned and sort of Lance's points previously on the show about uh, three-way thinking or three-way models, which again, I, I think we could be doing more of in, in, in FP&A as well. It's it's like there's so much powerful advice in there. I think for our audience, I think that's a, a really amazing. You know, so so thank you for sharing all of those nuggets of, of insight, Rob. Um, but I do want to touch on sort of, uh, you know, what you're working on now. And I suppose what's, what's exciting you most about what you're currently doing? Well, I was um, I had the uh, the fortune of being able to work at, at GE for two and a half years, specifically on their financial models and what's called in the financial service industry what's called model risk management. And then past that, I was working on a few valuation and M and A projects. I think professionally, though, one of the most important accomplishments for me in the last couple of years has been the ability to to really sit down and put on paper thoughts and concepts relating to FP&A and corporate finance um, through uh, Larissa's wonderful website, FP&A Trends, and all the programs she's put together. LinkedIn, and also uh, what we're doing here today with the podcast. And that's really um, my greatest personal uh, sense of accomplishment has being able to commit to pen and paper um, what's been going on in FP&A and where I think FP&A, you know, should go in the future. That's not something I had ever done professionally in the past. You know, as financial modelers, we're used to being, you know, knee deep in say, you know, Hyperion <laughs> and Excel, yeah. you know, and we're the numbers people, you know, but the, the actual taking the time to sit down and write about a numerical and analytical set of exercises has been absolutely fantastic to me yeah 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 i know is that something you'd encourage other people to do absolutely absolutely and this is some this is where we can improve our models is we can sit down and start writing about them okay and i don't just mean here's how you 
operate my financial model that I built. Yeah. You know, yeah. this is this is the yeah. the <laughs> SOP, the operating procedure. Yeah. The SOP. That, yeah, yeah. That's great. But let's sit down and start writing about the concepts behind our models okay. and our analysis. And sit down, yes, and take the time to write through your operating procedures. But explain what the model is truly solving for and how it gets there. And focus in your narrative on the three core components of any financial model. And that's data, calculation processes, and that end result, useful business information. I found that when I sit and write about financial models, either that I've created or that I'm reviewing, I uncover all kinds of questions that I wouldn't have either asked or answered if I was simply staring at Excel. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I know, we think, we think more numbers people. Andrew, and we are, <laughs> there's no doubt, but, you know, taking the time to communicate and create a narrative that works with our numbers that go hand in hand is pretty darn powerful. And when you sit in front of the CFO Definitely. or the CEO with your model and your analysis, if you've communicated written or verbally, previously thought through and communicated how your model works and where it's going, you're going to do a much better job in front of senior management. Yeah. 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 That's, that, that's awesome advice. Actually, you know, you're taught, I, I, you know, I know Rob, you're talking from experience on that one, but even intuitively that just makes great sense, you know, and how many, how many of us are doing that. And I will add something you said there as well is also, It'd be great to see more finance professionals, FP&A professionals sharing this sort of narrative, these sort of thoughts online, because not only you develop your, your own narrative and your own story, and that's powerful when you bring it back into your business, into your work, but also it opens opportunity for things that you might have missed that others have found and for people to give you hopefully constructive comments and feedback to make yeah. even what you do more powerful and leveraging the community that's out there. And I know we're all looking on LinkedIn. Some of us are more active than others, but you know, uh, whether it's FP&A trends or, or LinkedIn or wherever we're, we're blogging or reading blogs is just to contribute thoughts, even comments to begin with. Then then move into blogging, putting the ideas out there. Um, again, and then we're building, raising ships for everyone. You know, what a great way to go about and do it and improve ourselves at the same time. You know, what do you think, Rob? I could not, I could not agree more. Um, the more we share with each other, the better we're all going to get, and the more accepted our work and yes. the field of FP&A will become. Face it, um, financial models and the theory behind it and all the data behind it can be daunting. Oh, yeah. Not not just to us, but to others who maybe don't yes. share our love and passion for our work. <laughs> Um, so that's what I call quote unquote buy-in. We've got to increase the, the corporate buy-in of financial modeling, the analysis and the underlying theories. 
And the, the theories could be financial in nature. I spoke evaluation earlier because ultimately I believe FP&A is a valuation exercise, but it could be accounting concepts as well. We talked mm-hmm. about net income being, you know, purely an equity concept. Um, you know, that didn't dawn on me for years um, until I sat down and started reading brand new textbooks. Um, so buy-in on the concepts and the models that we're building, um, yeah. we, we got to increase that at, at all costs. Completely agree. Completely agree, Rob. Um, now, again, just being respectful of your time, we had some really great insights so far and advice from yourself, Rob. But maybe what's been the best bit of advice you've ever received? Mm, that's a great question. Don't give up. <laughs> just just keep going. Just keep going. Um, don't give up. And that sounds, hey, sounds like you got a story on that one. <laughs> well, you know, don't give up. Don't. You know, don't. Hey, it's it's eight, it's eight, eight p.m. on a on a Friday night, and you're trying to get mm-hmm. something out the door, or maybe prepared for a weekend or Monday morning meeting. Um, if if there's a corner you need to cut um, because of resources, state that up front. Be honest, and hopefully in the future, you'll be able to to really nail down and address all the elements that you intended to. Um, but really, don't give up. Just keep going. Models, just all, all of our models could be better, and we all know it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, hey, just don't give up. And yeah. don't solve for half the answer. That's one of the most frustrating things I see. Well, it happens all the time. We yeah, all yeah. operate under constraint and resource, and resource constraint, Andrew. We all do. Um, but hey, you know, be dogged. Don't give up. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually just making some notes there because, you know, sometimes people give advice on what we should be doing. And it's also important to know what we should be doing sometimes. I completely agree. Don't give up and definitely don't solve for half the answer. So look, to, so Rob, just in case people want to continue the conversation, where's the best place to connect with you at? Um, I really enjoy LinkedIn. Um, I use LinkedIn frequently. I, I publish on LinkedIn. I encourage everybody to uh, contact me through my profile. I would appreciate that greatly. And I'd love to hear feedback and comments from both the younger and the older crowd and see where we're all at yeah definitely well look I'll, I'll put your linkedin details in the show notes as well along with sort of time stamped elements of, of our conversation and the key things and quotes we've spoken about but uh, before we leave you sort of any other parting thoughts for our audience rob um i i think i think we've covered a lot and i just wish everybody the greatest success um uh, just let's all be really honest. Um, and when we have something to contribute, contribute. And we, when you need to receive, receive something, whether it's a, a new idea or a new way of doing things, be open and welcome to receiving. Bottom line, when you can give, give. When you need to receive, receive. 
we're all going to be the better for it, for it, and our industry will be the better for it. Yeah, what what, what a way to finish this uh, podcast on Rob. Completely agree. And look, thank you so much for being such a great guest and sharing of your time and being an example for the rest of us out there. And hopefully, we get you back on the show soon. Well, thank you, Andrew. Um, I'd appreciate that, and thanks for all your hard work. I really appreciate what you're doing. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to know more about our guests today, their bio, and follow up on the resources mentioned during the show, you can find all the relevant links and more at sitnshow.com. There you'll also be able to get access to earlier shows, read the latest blogs. There's also an opportunity to subscribe to our newsletter which will give you heads up as to when the next show is coming out, latest events, news, and anything that's going to be relevant to help you have a fun, rewarding, and successful career in finance and accounting. And just before you go, we really appreciate your feedback. If there's something we can do better on the show, something that's not working, or something you'd like to see, even a guest you'd like for us to invite onto the show, someone who you think might be able to benefit you more and also the rest of our community, please let me know. You can email me. I'm at andrew at sitnshow.com or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just drop me a message so I know how you found me and we can connect. And really, it's our community that will make the show. If we keep engaging and driving each other on, we'll keep on building our strength in the numbers. When all is said and done, if we can do the numbers better and finance better, we'll create more opportunities for ourselves, our friends, our families, our communities and our businesses. So until next time, have a good rest of the week. Take care and let's keep building our strength in the numbers.